Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Jeremy Hans, and he's got a great story about his journey from growing up and getting an ROTC scholarship and eventually going on to become a helicopter pilot in the Navy, all the way through to getting started in real estate and uh, buying, I think their portfolio is like a thousand units now. So really cool story about how he got started. Um, not all roses, right? There's some learning, learning experiences there and some, some teachable moments, but Jeremy was really open and transparent about his journey and, uh, Great guy too. It's just a, a fun, a fun uh, communication that we had, and I think you're gonna enjoy the dialogue there. And then there's some very practical things in there as well from, uh, you know, from a, a guy like him and his partner that have been running their company for a number of years. They've gone full cycle on deals. Um, they've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. So some of that wisdom is imparted here for for your benefit. Before we jump in with Jeremy, if you are listening to this, thank you. And if you're not on the DJE investor list and seeing our projects, and you want to see those, you can go to djetexas.com and get signed up for the list or schedule a call with our team. We can see case studies on, on our deals and all that good stuff. If you want to pursue being an operator, you want to run multifamily deals, specifically larger multifamily deals that you put together and run as a general partner, we created apartmenteducators.com to show you how to do that. We've got I've got an eight-part free video series that I teach there at apartmenteducators.com that you can check out. There's also a full ecosystem tools team and everything that we can plug you in with if you want to push the fast forward button. Okay, let's jump in with Jeremy Hans. Here we go. Jeremy, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, thanks for jumping on. Uh, excited to dive in and talk about your business and what you've built over the years. But before we, we do that, let's just kind of start at, um, at the first floor here and just talk about your, your background, you know, wh where you're from, how you grew up and what, what got you into, uh, you know, the on-ramp to real estate here in the sure. first place. So I describe myself as the, uh, the greatest example of a uh, white middle-class uh, suburban kid you can possibly get. Okay. I grew up in the suburbs of uh, North Dallas, graduated from Allen High School, I uh, wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life and kind of applied on a whim uh, for an ROTC scholarship uh, with the Navy. Um, kind of by the grace of God, that showed up and actually happened. And so I uh, went to college on a ROTC scholarship and then ended up uh, graduating from the University of Oklahoma and then showing up to the Navy and uh, became a Navy helicopter pilot. So I uh, was a Navy helicopter pilot for about uh, 10 years on active duty. Uh, and during that time, right, it jumped around a little bit uh, with the regular you know, Navy moves and got out to San Diego back in 2010. Um, and in 2007, right after I graduated, I decided I was going to be richer than everybody else and then invested a whole bunch of, you know, borrowed money. And I turned a whole bunch of money into no money and realized I'm an idiot. Right. So that kind of started the real estate, uh, the real estate journey at a young age. And my wife reminds me all the time how dumb I am for that. But, you know, that was probably the best, you know, five figure loss at 22 that you could possibly have okay. maybe a better way. And you shouldn't try to, you know, cut to the top. Uh, and so that took me down a, a deep spiral of personal finance and real estate finances and you know what 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 really did work uh, and so I moved out to California and you know if you look at the California real estate it goes up and down and I was super blessed to buy at the very bottom of the California San Diego real estate it's about a fourplex as a 22 year old a house hacked and bird before house hacked and birds were words sure. uh, so we lived in the front house and rented out the last three uh, and thought that was gonna be that was gonna be it for me right so 
my plan was to, to play Navy for a few more years, stay in California, maybe buy another one of those and then you know, pay it off someday and retire. The Navy decided to throw me for a little bit of a wrench there. And so in 2013, they moved me to uh, Florida. Uh, so kind of unexpectedly get ripped out of San Diego, show up to Pensacola, Florida. It's kind of lower Alabama. It's very much the South. Um, don't want to be here. Um, not sure what I'm going to do. All my real estate plans are kind of you know lost. <coughs> and so uh, down here, the idea of living in, in a uh, a fourplex doesn't really exist here in uh, Pensacola. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and so started getting other things. So that started uh, multifamily, started uh, mobile home parks and then RV parks. Um, and just kind of through slow attrition of doing one deal at a time, started syndicating back in, <coughs> excuse me, 2015. Um, yep. Kind of where we're at today. I love it, man. Well, that was a, that was a super condensed version of uh <laughs> what I'm sure is, was a big adventure and lots of ups and downs along the way. What were you flying in the Navy? I flew uh, MH-60, uh, excuse me, MH-60 Sierras uh, out of San Diego. And then I got about, <coughs> I don't know what happened. COVID. Um, and I had about 3,000 hours in uh, Bell 206 as a uh, flight instructor for the Navy. 3,000 hours, man, that's serious, serious. Cool. That's, that's, uh, that's fun stuff, man. I fly an R44, so no uh, no comparison to that stuff, but still, uh, it, you know, uh, the, you get some hate from some of the fixed wing guys. I don't know if that's if, you, if that's been an experience for you. Fixed wing, <laughs> fix wing guys like to hate on the rotorcraft guys. Yeah, so, you know, uh, Navy helicopter pilots were, you know, I was on an aircraft carrier for two and a half years. We are third-class citizens. Uh, the jet guys, uh, you know, reign supreme, everybody else, and then helicopter pilots. And so uh, right. we're really just flying, uh, we're, we're flying their food and their passengers around. You know, right. Sundays are no fly days typically for us. And we're still flying the priests and the chaplains around to boat to boat. So uh, definitely the case. I'll give you credit for a guy like you flying a, a piston helicopter is not something I've ever done. I've always had a turbine. So, uh, no, it's uh, it's fun. And, you know, at this point in my career, I, I wouldn't change anything. So if I could do it all over again, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. So. That's awesome. Uh, that, that's awesome. When you get, when you get, I guess, you know, redeployment orders or whatever the term is to move to Florida, what kind of notice do you, do you have? What does that look like? So I'm in the middle of the Indian ocean and I've, I've got about two months before uh, I, I go back stateside, pick up my wife and then move. So we had about two or three months kind of knowledge before that happened. Um, but of course I was on a boat, so there was nothing I could do about it. Right. You're going to shop Craigslist in the middle of the night, but you know, there's, there's nothing going on, uh, on the planet. Yeah. So you get back and then you've got like a matter of weeks to make it all happen. Yeah. I mean, I think I showed up back to San Diego. We had six days to get on the road, uh, to get back to, to Florida. Wow. So pretty, I mean, it's pretty normal, right? It's a, it's a process yeah. that a lot of people do. And so of course, yeah. You're kind of, you're prepared for not being prepared, I guess would be the best way to describe it, which I think honestly, a lot of that is probably shown some success in what I do now and that you know, I don't need all the answers. I'll just show up and figure it out when I get there kind of thing. Yeah. And that's a, that's something that a lot of people struggle with. They just simply don't have that experience or skill right. set. And they, they feel like all the lights need to be green on the drive from Austin to Dallas. And it's like, that's it's never going to happen. You never gonna have all the answers. Right. Right. You know, and I think even more so, you know, from my background as a helicopter pilot in the Navy, we're operating off a ship in the middle of nowhere ocean. Right. So, there is no, you know, TV signal. There's no internet, right? There, there's not signals out there. Typically we have some satellite, but it, it hardly ever works. You have to be ready to go solve your own problems when you're over the water and something happens. Right. And so uh, having that kind of mentality of, Hey, if a problem arises, I'm trained for it, I'll figure it out. Um, and, you know, 
we'll just make it work. Right. And so the, that's kind of the, the mentality that we've taken from there to now. Um, and so when I go wow. jump into something new, it's the same idea, right? I don't know the answers, but if you're forced to do it right back, backs against the walls, you're either going to sink or swim. So start swimming. Right. Yeah. I think if there's one attribute that, I, that I'm looking for, for anybody to partner with, invest with, hire anything, it's go solve your own problems, figure it out and make it, and make it happen and have a comfort level with uh, some ambiguity because that's never going away. It's never going away. Um, what were some of the things that when you got on the real estate track in terms of getting educated, I think a lot of us go through this period where we have some aha moment and then we kind of really like dive in to the deep end on consuming, you know, seminars, books, podcasts, whatever it is. Do you kind of have a period of going through all that where you were just? Yeah. So uh, I'm a big reader. And so uh, when you're on a boat and you have, you know, 24 hours a day to work at some point you have to stop working. So, you know, a lot of people will kill all their time with watching uh, TV shows and movies. And I definitely did my fair share of that. Uh, But that kind of started my kind of reading journey, I'd say back then, 10 years ago. And so, you know, I was reading, you know, 50 books a year, kind of on average or more uh, on deployment, you know, in seven or eight months, I could even read more than that. Uh, And so I did the deep dive in the real estate thing uh, back then that started kind of the, the figuring out of what are the different ways that you can make money in real estate. And then, you know, as I keep reading, do any of these kind of sound better for me? And so, you know, my claim to fame is I've got, you know, almost over a thousand units now. Uh, I've never owned a single family rental, right? I've never flipped a house. And so, congratulations, sir. And That's part of that was just, it was just you know, at one point I had to make a decision, right? On what I wanted to be good at. And so I decided to skip the, the focus on the wholesale or the retail uh, buying residential stuff. Uh, and I jumped straight into the multifamily, smaller stuff, right? But then continued to grow through there. Um, and so, started with that. And then I did do uh, some of the education. Um, but, you know, my thought process with education is, is learn enough to get dangerous and then just go do it. Right. And right. so I've had the opportunity now to go back to some of these seminars and go meet some people, right. that are kind of, you know, in my shoes, two or three years before me. Uh, and the thing that always frustrates me is they pay a bunch of money, they go to the seminar and they get in the seminar and they start trying to buy something else to do the next big deal. Right. When they haven't even done the one that they showed up for. And so I'm a big believer in, you know, go show up, figure out how to do it, go do it, repeat it a couple of times, and then we can go figure out something else. And so you know, we did, uh, my partner that I ended up meeting, tried to buy the same mobile home park in 2014, also a flight instructor. I find out, you know, he's, he's doing that. I call him up and say, hey, man, just don't offer more than me, right? Let's let's collaborate, not compete, right? Come to find out, right? We go to the same church, we're in the same Sunday school class, we would walk from each other, we have the same job. It was too weird to, you know, not go ahead and partner up. So we ended up partnering up on that deal. But the two of us then kind of spent some time both getting educated and then educating ourselves together, just going to some of the seminars and uh, getting some classes from people who kind of been there and done that before. Yeah, I, lo- I love that comment. You um, can definitely press the fast forward button with an education and a network. Uh, in the same way, you could push fast forward button with a trainer in any aspect of life, but it doesn't take away the fact that I think you can get about half of it, you know, through through training, education, you know, shadowing other people, reading, you know, the whole uh, suite of tools we have at our disposal to try to learn something. Um, and I take, I take it back, you know, we, we kind of coach and mentor some people. I kind of take it back to the flying analogy. It's like, there's a lot of ground school. There's a lot of stuff to learn. Um, but man, you could study that for thousands of hours and you're never going to go fly. You can't fly without a ton of hours doing that too. And so I think you get about half of it through education and mentoring and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you definitely need some kind of educational base, but 
The other half only comes through through execution, and that's uh, that's that's going to stop a lot of people in their tracks. Well, it, so I, I've trained over fifteen hundred helicopter pilots, I think, at this point, right? That's so wild, man, that's three thousand hours, two hours at a time. It's about fifteen hundred, right? Different flights. Yep. I've done. Um, yep. You know, you're hundred percent correct, right? They have to study, they have to show up, they haven't know enough to be dangerous, but then they really need me to show them actually how to do what we're trying to do that day, right? Um, I remind them all the time if they were really good, I didn't have a job. And so it was, it was to my benefit that they showed up not how, knowing how to do this. And so yeah. I expected them to kind of make mistakes uh, on the process. Um, so yeah, the education, the getting prepared is helpful, but I think also kind of being able to emulate and copy is helpful too. You know, my first um, jump into syndication was as a passive investor. I, I went and invested in three or four other deals. Um, they weren't very far down the road before I went and did my own, but it was really nice to be able to watch other people uh, present things, show how they were breaking down deals. What are they sending out? And then it's very easy for me to go, Hey, I like that. I don't like that. And, you know, make changes and adjustments uh, to how I did it myself. Um, so 100%. Big- That's how I started. That's how a lot of people started. And it really gets you into the, into the vehicle without having a ton of responsibility. And you can, you can kind of pick up. That's how we built our company, right? It's oh, I was in this deal. I like how these guys did that. I'll take this little piece of it. Don't like how they did that. We're never going to do that. And then you kind of craft your own, your own path forward off those, off those passive experiences. Yes. I love that approach. And if you get paid learning, that seems to be like a really good deal too. So uh, right. I'll take every paid learning opportunity I can get. Yeah, hundred percent. So what does the portfolio look like today? Because you're in some different asset classes and, right. and where is all of it? So uh, we're based here out of Pensacola, Florida. Uh, yep. So active duty in 17, uh, stayed in the reserves. But we've built kind of our business since we were both on active duty through the last five or six years and then really kind of launched our, our brand and our company in the last couple of years. Uh, but we have been primarily focused on the Gulf Coast region. And so uh, Mobile, Alabama, Pensacola, Florida has been kind of our core. Uh, now that we're both uh, out and kind of having more time to travel, that's expanding throughout the southeast. Uh, but we started primarily as doing multifamily. Uh, we've done a little bit of office uh, and did a lot of mobile home parks. Uh, and then we moved into RV parks here in the last two years. Uh, so right now we're still at about 300 units uh, of multifamily, about 300 units of uh, mobile home parks, and then the rest, another 300 plus units now uh, and growing pretty quickly of RV parks. Um, gone full cycle on all three uh, product types at this point, uh, but we're now kind of selling everything that is Class C or in places I don't want to be to go buy things, I, in places I do want to be with people I want to hang out with, which for us is uh, RV parks, destination RV parks. Got it. Yeah, love it. Love all of that you know, full cycle in the different asset classes. Um, talk to me a little bit about Florida. You know, I don't study a lot of, of demographic stuff nationwide. We kind of just focus on San Antonio and it keeps it simple, but it seems like whole world's been moving to Florida since uh, March of 2020 or whatever. Um, how has that gone? What are you seeing? You know, so, um, I love Florida. Um, I think a lot of people have different ideas of what Florida looks like. You know, I'm right. seven and a half hours away from the mouse, you know, as I say down in Orlando. So we're way up here in uh, the Western tip. Uh, so we're still in the central time zone. Um, that is nice. Yeah. All the time, right? Um, but, you know, from a state uh, perspective, you know, we have a balanced budget down here. Uh, our, we, we don't spend more, right, than they take in on taxes. Um, we've been pretty, pretty aggressive, I think, in growth and, right, trying to attract some business and kind of maybe being sane about some things that other places have been a little insane about, uh, whether good or bad at sometimes. Sure. Uh, I, I would say though, because Florida is such a large state, similar to Texas, right? Uh, what's happening in El Paso has nothing to do with what's happening in Austin a lot of times, right? right. Uh, I'd say the same thing applies to us, right? So we're out here kind of in the, the Gulf Coast. Uh, we're definitely kind of an unknown jewel. Uh, 
people know about Destin, people go to Orange Beach or Gulf Shores. Uh, a lot of people like to go to 30A, some of those uh, you know, towns there in Panama City. Uh, but Pensacola has kind of been overlooked uh, for a long time. And so we're kind of a, a little bit of an unknown. So we've got the, the benefits of the Florida without necessarily all the big city money kind of racing to uh, the market. Um, but in general, really easy to deal with when it comes to landlord-tenant laws, um, low taxes, no personal income taxes, very little filing we have to do. So when we start buying stuff in all these other states, and, and we have, right, uh, we like to buy in, text, uh, in Florida specifically because it's just so much easier to do business, right? There's just a lot less to have to deal with. Yeah, well, that's a great overview. And, and you know, landlord-friendly, business-friendly, those are going to be excellent foundations to build a real estate investment company on. What does the team look like now? You mentioned you got a partner um, and, and you've grown the portfolio. What, what does the team look like now? Is it just you guys and some third-party management? Is it a little more involved with that? So if, uh, if you can find me a third-party management that wants to deal with Class C and the markets that I'm in, I'll hire them, right? Uh, but no, so we, uh, we're rapidly growing. Uh, we did the third-party management with just my partner and I for the first five or six years. In 2020, we started Client Capital kind of as our kind of name brand official partnership. Uh, and now we have four uh, employees here at Climb Capital, uh, plus three interns. Um, and then we have a fully integrated uh, property management company. And so that's another 12 members there. And so um, we are self-managing now all of our deals. Um, and so we kind of run that from kind of a two-company kind of uh, overview. But my partner and I oversee both of those, I, I guess would be the thing. So we have a full-time underwriter. We have a full-time, uh, what I describe as in-house wholesaler, looking for off-market deals. Yep. Um, full-time marketing guy. Uh, and then we have a full-time, what I'd call an admin or CFO, uh, kind of make sure the bills are paid and that payroll gets done on time. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are really growing out the team. What's your, what's been your experience owning the management company versus third party? You've had good amount of experience with both. So, you know, I, I debate this with guys all the time. Uh, I don't, I don't think in the, uh, a class B or even a C plus in a major market, you should be owning your own management company. It doesn't make any sense. Um, unfortunately, you know, we have probably fired five or six management companies here locally uh, over the last couple of years. When you're dealing with a class C tenant uh, and turnaround value add projects, it's a lot of work, right? And there's not a ton of money to be made in the management side. And so uh, we found that we weren't getting any service. And so we finally just said, hey, we give up. We're going to do it ourselves. Uh, we brought uh, teams uh, in-house. Uh, we have started a hiring process where we don't focus on property management experience. We, pro we focus on personality types and people that we want to work with. And then we teach them to be property managers. Uh, and we have found what we thought was going to be just this overwhelming, you know, dreadful task has been awesome. Um, you know, we solved tons of problems when it comes to communication. Things get done on our timeline. You know, Bob and I are both pilots. And so our time frame for fixing problems is right now. And so if I'm in a helicopter and there's a problem, I fix it right now. Uh, and we feel the same way about real estate. So we're not talking about something we're going to do three months from now. If we see the problem, just go fix the problem, right? Uh, and so having, having a employees that, that kind of see that same idea and then act on that has been great. And so um, if I could get out of it, I would, I, I wouldn't lie. It's not, that's not why I got into this business. I don't want to go, you know, knock on doors like I did yesterday. I knocked on a hundred doors yesterday telling me to pay my rent or leave. Right. Um, but th that's just, you know, part of the business. And uh, we found that the success for us is not being the property management, being a profit center, but it's being able to execute much faster um, and at a much higher level than we were finding with, other property management companies we've dealt with. Right, right. Yeah, that's absolutely what we found going through a very similar process of some pain with some third parties and building it in-house, basically echoing everything you just said. Are you guys doing any third-party management or just managing your own stuff? 
so we have a couple of deals we partner with that are a little bit farther out. Uh, and so we'll use third party there if we're not in that market. Um, but that's kind of a legacy holdover from deals we've done in the past. Even now we've got deals, you know, four or five hours away in Northern Alabama. You've got deals in Kentucky. We're self-managing those two. And we intend, especially with the RV parks, to continue to self-manage those anywhere in the country. Um, like you guys really foresee taking on third-party business, third-party clients for the management company, or is that that's just too much work? Well, at this point, I don't want to be a property manager. So I am the property manager. You know, probably the next piece that we'll need to hire will be an asset manager that will run the property management company. Um, right. That person, you know, we haven't found the right fit for that. We don't know exactly what we're looking for. We want to solve some of the problems and kind of push away some of the old legacy deals, we call them, uh, and focus more on the RV parks and then find one person that can manage one uh, property type. Uh, and then we'll probably move to managing that person managing the property instead of me. Um, I don't foresee us ever having any desire to manage other people's properties. Um, what I could foresee in the future in the RV park space, providing some kind of consultancy or you know, helping people out uh, in that in that manner somewhere, say, say shape or form. Right, yeah, it's hard to justify bringing on third-party clients and all the headache involved for what amounts to these pennies, very thin margins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about capital. So you guys are doing bigger deals, you know, thousand thousand doors or units or whatever you want to call it. Um, you're syndicating these, or how how have you structured your capital over the years? We uh, we've done it the hard way, and so you know, our first deal was a mobile home park um, that we needed to raise two hundred thousand dollars on, and you know, we sweat for weeks and weeks on how we're going to raise two hundred thousand dollars. Right. Still active duty, you know, pilots at the time, and so yes. we really built a retail investor base of other military pilots and airline pilots. So guys that were in or guys that were in and then got out and are now flying, uh, you know, for one of the majors. Uh, and so that's kind of been what we, we focused on. We've been single sponsor on all of our deals um, so far. I think we've done almost 20 deals now, uh, you know, kind of slowly growing from the $200,000 raise up to the multi-million dollar raise. Um, and we're still at this point simply using retail investors. That'll probably change this year. We'll have to kind of continue to expand to find some more, uh, larger sources of capital. But the value that we find is that if I raise money $50,000 at a time, the $50,000 investor is really thankful for me, right? Uh, and they treat me that way. If I go raise $5 million for one guy, he thinks I work for him. And so, you know, there's a little bit of a balance of trying to figure out how we want to scale and grow, but we've probably grown a little bit slower because we have stuck to our retail investors. We've done all 506Bs. Uh, it's all been friends and family. And so we still take, you know, new investors kind of on every deal. And the reason being is that we started in our early 20s, right? Like we're mid-20s when we start. So our investor base is our friends and families is kind of that plus or minus 10 years. A lot of them are still active duty at the time. And so we kind of know if uh, we get them addicted now, right? They're going to be the same guys. They're going to be doing really well in 20 or 30 years. It'll be a bigger check. And so we're kind of growing with them uh, as we go. So um, yeah, all capital from single sponsor syndications, 506Bs, and primarily friends and family, just people that we've met. You know, we haven't even really marketed. You know, I've probably done three or four podcasts. I'm not even a big... Uh, Go, go around and, and talk to everybody I can kind of guy. So just kind of put our heads down and do the work. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that approach. I think there's a lot of advantages to that approach. One is, you know, you have a $50,000 investor back out on a $3 million equity requirement. Okay. You know, next, call, call the next investor and, and kind of swap out the spot. Uh, you know, as we've looked at the private equity guys for, for years and the big check writers. And I mean, every time I look at it, there's just too many strings attached, right? There's too much stuff that can change on the one yard line. There's too, there's too much of an ask there. And then I think there's this other component that we 
I really appreciate as a firm is, is direct LLC ownership, you know, and you're kind of opening up a, a group of really just regular folks that have jobs and have, have saved some money and they kind of inherently know their money's getting um, eroded away every, every year with inflation and giving them a vehicle to put it in. And like, there's genuine thanks from our investors. And I'm sure your investors like, man, thank you. I, I didn't know this existed and you turned me on to this and we've done deals with you. And it, it's like, to your point, they're genuinely appreciative and we're taking this uh, alternative investment and kind of showing it to your average, you know, kind of regular folks that are, that are working and not necessarily some hundred million dollar family office. I think there's something really cool and noble about being able to like bypass this whole financial service industry, which in a lot of ways is just total garbage. Uh, and give somebody a direct ownership in these, you know, in these real estate deals. I think that's. I think you've awesome probably seen it too, right? You know, we we've gone after some high net worth individuals, you know, ultra high net worth individuals before. I can't say we ever got to the the one yard line and, and we're left. Uh, but we've definitely got to the fifteen or ten yard line with some of these guys, and you know, we thought we bought a deal right in their buy box, and they're telling, "Hey, we're going to sign it at all. It's going to be super easy for you guys." Uh, and then they just kind of flake out at the end, right? So. Uh, right. You know, right. Yeah. And the big check flaking out really matters. And that you're yeah, big check flaking out. And so, you know, you're right. And so if it's $50,000 investor that leaves, that's fine. I'm oversubscribed. I've got five other people waiting to go, you know, that would be either glad to increase their investment or add more. And so, um, right. you know, we, we probably could have gone farther faster if we had partnered with other capital raising groups or um, had looked for a different clientele. But, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, steady growth also doesn't overwhelm you nearly as bad. So hundred uh, percent. And there's so many pieces that you're trying to manage and you're trying to manage capital. You're trying to manage deal flow and you're trying to manage operations. And, you know, I've, I've told our team, if, you know, if we had a billion dollars capital to deploy tomorrow, we can't grow the other legs fast enough. We can't grow deal flow. We can't grow operations that fast anyway. So it's gotta be this kind of like steady growth of all three. And that's a, that's a balancing act. You know, and the, the other thing I'd say too, just from a macro side is, you know, I think any of us who started in this business in the last 10 years have succeeded in large part to just trends being in our favor, right? right. If you bought you know, multifamily at 14, 15, 16 in Texas through the Southeast, you know, cap rate compression has been so real, you didn't have to be that good of an operator, right? And so right. We, we think about all the time, you know, my first entree into investing was losing all my money in 08. And so I'm always thinking like, how do I prevent that, right? I want to be a really good operator. So when things turn around... Um, I'm still surviving through the next one and I can grow and scale at the bottom of the market, not what, you know, here after the market's been on a tear for 10 or 15 years. Yeah, that's right. It's been on a tear and there's been this like mind boggling uh, introduction of capital into the system since COVID. That's going to have all sort of effects on everything and, and all sort of unintended consequences. Uh, but you're right. You know, the, the, you've got to be able to hang on 18 months through a crash or some sort of black swan event that's going to wash a lot of people out. COVID really wasn't that because the amount of liquidity that was injected into the whole system, it looked like that for a minute, but that quickly went away. And then we saw these, this like ridiculous asset inflation, which helps you and me and our investors. But um, yeah, I think there's, there's something to be said for um, pick the right vehicles, you know, you want to own assets, there's going to be asset inflation and that's all, that's all well and good. But how do you live through 18 months of pure hell and right. with your business and, and capital intact? And then be ready to thrive on the backside too, right? right. I'm 36 years old. I expect to do this for another 30 or 40 years. 
right. I'm not necessarily rooting for a downturn, but a downturn is where I'll make my real money too, right? right. So, right. you know, being ready for that, not 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 uh, not not tuning my horn too hard, right? That uh, how well I've done, right? So, uh, I'm impressed that we've been able to get to where we're at, but I also know there's a lot of places to go, and you can all go away tomorrow if I'm not smart about you know keeping track. I love it. Yeah. I think that's 100 the right approach to take. What would you say to somebody that wants to? you know, wants to be in your shoes, be full-time running real estate deals and, and they're maybe working a job or haven't done a deal yet. What, what do you think helps them get on the path? So I tell this to, I can't tell you how many times I meet young military pilots, young military officers now who have seen kind of this run up in asset values over the last few years. These guys are smart, right? The guys that are joining, you know, flight programs in the military, they could do anything they want. So sure. they see their options. Uh, and a lot of them are like, hey, guy like you, you've been in real estate, you've been in Navy, you've been successful at both, you know, how do you do it, right? Uh, and my answer to everybody is you got to be successful in something, right? Um, it's not going to be real estate first for most people. Uh, right. And so for guys that, you know, are in the Navy or that are joining the Air Force, or, you know, flying something, well, go be a really good pilot. I tell them all the time, like, you're not going to be a pilot at 85, right, for the Navy. You can be a really rich real estate operator, then, right? So find something you can really good at, succeed early on at something. Um, you know, especially in sports, physical stuff, you know, flying, something like that, where you really do have kind of a short timeline where you can really make that a, a focus in your life. Right. Uh, and then what I found is once you have that success, it's much easier to go back to those people that know you as a successful person, right? To go raise capital or go find deals or go network with other people. Um, because I didn't screw up, you know, my Navy career, when I go back and call guys uh, from even 10 years ago, they'll gladly take my phone call and they'll go give me the Rolodex, right? And they'll let me know, right? hey, who do they know in the space that I need to know too? So being a really good person that, you know, people want to hang out with, um, hopefully being somewhat interesting to when you talk to them and then being successful in something, I think that's really kind of the first step. Uh, and if you can't find success in something, I think you got to really question, like, do you want to take other people's money and be in my shoes? Right. Uh, I tell people all the time, like, try it once and see if you even like it. You know, I, I don't live in a bed of roses. So <laughs> I get ugly phone calls and ugly emails all the time. Right. Are you ready for, you know, what I would call the weighted blanket that puts me to bed every night, knowing that I've got all these people that are looking at me to not screw up their retirement and pay all the employees. So. Yeah. hundred percent massive burden. And it's certainly not for everybody, but you've grown into it mm -hmm. and you know, you don't take on those responsibilities overnight. You kind of, you kind of work yourself into them. I like, I like the comment about um, early success. I wish someone would have, I wish I would have taken that message on earlier in my corporate career. Cause I thought I was just going to kind of blaze this trail when really the, the most important thing um, at a big company I worked at many years ago was all the relationships that I had access to right. build and, and nurture. And I probably could have done a better job at, at that at the time. And it's, it's the relationships are, are, are everything. You're going to have career changes. You're going to be into different things over the phases of your life. But those relationships are number one, bar, bar none. I tell my three interns all the time, I wasted college in the fact that I played a lot of Madden and chased a lot of girls but I don't have a lot of contacts, right? Like I could have done a lot of things to meet a lot of people that were doing really high level things, you know, but I had a great time. Um, like you can have a great time, but you can also meet a lot of people too, right? Like go create that Rolodex, go take that guy out to lunch. You know, when you're a student or when you're getting started, there are those people that will talk to you that won't talk to you, you know, 10 years later when you're supposed to already be successful, right? But if you're in your young 20s and you want to get started in life, hey man, I'm a student, I want to know about it, you know, I'll, I'll take them to lunch. I'm not going to take their dad to lunch, but I'll take them to lunch. Right. I, yeah. I don't know what that is about the, you know, being a new or starting that. Uh, gives you yeah. The free pass to, to get access to some people. Yeah. I think, 
anything, you know, the only thing that somebody successful is looking for is great people to work with them. You know, that, that's, that's the problem that every successful entrepreneur has is who, you know, maybe it's somebody younger, but who's a great person I can put in this seat to do this thing. And, sure. um, you know, that's, that's all, that's all any successful entrepreneur is looking for to build a business. Which by the way, if you're a great, uh, operator, right. Executor, give me a call. I'd love to talk to, love to, talk to you. That awesome. seemed- <laughs> there it is. You know, on that note, if somebody's listening, they want to connect, uh, with you and, and connect with your company, learn more about what you guys are up to. What's, uh, What's a good way for them to do that? I mean, the internet exists, right? And we're on it. So uh, climbcapital.com is the company. Uh, and, you know, just because I have a lot of self-loathing, I'm trying to do a daily TikTok. Uh, I try to wow. do a TikTok okay. by nine o'clock, talking about commercial real estate, RV park cool. investing. Uh, I'm not any good, so don't get too excited about that. Uh, but you can find me there or at jeremyhands.com or at the company. We're, uh, we're pretty easy to find. I think that's one of the things that we, we pride ourselves on is being millennials pretty tech savvy. So we can, we can get to you if you find us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll link to the uh, website in the show notes. If you're listening, you can click through, connect with Jeremy and the team. Um, thank you for jumping on. I, I enjoyed learning about your journey. Congratulations on the success so far and wish you guys success in the year ahead. Thanks, Tim. All right. See you. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.